Welcome to First Baptist Church of Conway. We're so glad that you're joining us online for worship today. And while we're happy to provide this resource for you, we just want to encourage you that nothing can take the place of corporate worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as you are able, I invite you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for worship. And I look forward to seeing you as you do. So listen, good morning. I'm glad um, I could be here with you today. Today we're continuing our study on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And today is a continuation of last week. And so if you missed last week, you can um, jump online. You can watch that a little bit later. This is really part two. Um, Last week, we dove a little bit deeper than what was probably comfortable for most of us into Greek and Roman culture and kind of learned about them. And we um, saw that Paul was calling the church to live into their identity as Jesus followers. Remember, he reminded them through that vice list uh, of the sin they once lived in, who they used to be, the things they used to do, but then called them out of that in light of the uh, grace of God and said, listen, you don't have to live in that. You shouldn't be in that. Let's, let's come out of that in light of what Jesus has done in your life. Remember, the gospel calls us out of the darkness, out of our shame, into his acceptance, into his love, grace, and mercy. Jesus now gives us a new identity as a child of God. And a new identity means he defines who we are, what we were made for. He gives us our purpose. He gives us gifts, talents, and abilities to then live into who he's called us to be. And when your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ, you can confidently and boldly walk through this life for his glory because you will know, you will know that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and that he has a plan and purpose for your life. And folks, every single one of us need that. It's because of his resurrection and the bondage that was broken of sin through his death, we can live into that new reality. So Paul continues the conversation of what it looks like to live as a child of God in light of a culture that is filled with sexual immorality. We're going to dive right in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, you say... I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And so evidently, this I am allowed to do anything, or some of your translations read, everything is permissible for me, was a popular slogan the church or perhaps the culture used. It had given them a license to do whatever they wanted Just said, hey, I'm allowed, I can do it, so I'm going to do it. And more than likely, what's happening is they have a misunderstanding of what it means to be free in Christ. Because we know throughout Paul's other letters, he talks about the freedom in Christ. And so they just assumed, probably like a lot of people do, especially when they're younger, freedom means I can do whatever I want whenever I want. But that doesn't work out so very well, does it? Paul says, no, 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 that doesn't work. The logic behind them, they're saying, if Christ has taken away all sin, then I can just do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. 
Paul says, no, that's not how that works. Just because we have freedom, it doesn't negate wisdom that we need to apply to our lives. You see, freedom with freedom always comes responsibility. That's where Paul is saying, not everything's good for you. You you have the freedom of choice, but not everything's going to be beneficial for you. And we understand this. I am able to eat as many Oreos as I want. Well, will it be good for me? Correct. It will not be good for me. A whole package of Oreos is never a good idea. So you are, we are responsible for every choice that we make. We have to then deal and live in those consequences. As one author says, for every sin, there's a pleasure and a payment. And we got to live with that. But with freedom also comes the need for restraint. Nowhere is there a, or nowhere does freedom ever mean I can just do whatever I want whenever I want. That's anarchy, right? That doesn't actually work in real life. Paul saying you cannot, with, even though you can make choices, you need to allow the wisdom of not becoming a slave or addicted to anything. If we don't restrain our freedom, we will find ourselves in, excuse me, bound by addiction. When I was 13 years old, I just thought it was cool to smoke cigarettes because all my friends smoked cigarettes. I waited till I was 13, right? I was old enough to do it at that point. I was a grown man, I decided. And then what happens when you smoke cigarettes because you're free to do it? What happens? You find yourself bound and addicted to nicotine. And according to medical doctors of today, addiction is now found absolutely everywhere. In the New York Times bestselling book called Dopamine Nation, a medical doctor, Ann Lamke, says, we live in an age of overindulgence and addiction to dopamine. She says, today the landscape of the world is addiction is now normal. The world has transformed from a place of scarcity to now an overabundance, an overwhelming abundance of food, drugs, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, social media, and all of these are highly rewarding stimuli. She said the smartphone is the new hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine 24-7. It's an amazing read on addiction, but there's a warning. It is highly adult material. Because she dives into what addiction looks like and you got to be willing to deal with people's stories. Great book, but just a warning there. And so that's what's going on here. Paul's saying an unbridled pursuit of pleasure will become slavery to you, will become slavery to me. And we are not to be controlled by anything other than Christ to include money, sports, television, or anything else that wants to be domineering. Paul says, no. Freedom comes with responsibility and you got to exercise restraint. He continues. This is their argument. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though some God, someday God will do away with both of them. So the question is, hey, Brian, will we eat in heaven? Evidently not. I was hoping I'd have Pizza Hut, pepperoni pizza, extra cheese with no calories. Like that's my view. So I can't imagine what, how amazing it's going to be if that's not there, right? He says, but 
But you can't say that our bodies were made, made for sexual morality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. So the underlining logic is this. This is what he's battling. Food is for the stomach, they say. And the stomach was made for food. God doesn't care what we eat. It doesn't, it's not a moral thing, so we just go for it. Therefore, sexual organs were made for sex. Sex needs sexual organs. Therefore, we can just do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. It's just like food. It's like they're saying there's no morality. These are just natural appetites. And Paul's like, true, they are natural appetites. You're not wrong on that. But our bodies weren't made for sexual immorality. Paul says that's not how it works. God created your body for whom? For you? For himself. He made you for himself. He didn't make you to pursue your own pleasure. We can never forget the foundational teaching of this in Genesis, being made in the image of God. And he gives, right? He gives humans, here's what it looks like. Here's your responsibility. Here's what I want you to do as human beings. Genesis chapter one, verse 28 says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry. I like that word, right? Scurry. Scurry along the ground. He didn't create us to pursue pleasure for the sake of pleasure. He created us to live under him. The body was never made just for us to use it however we deem necessary. He created it. He made it and said, hey, I want you to multiply and you have a purpose to govern this world. Have you ever noticed how different we are than every other animal? We wear clothes, right? There's one example. They don't, right? That's because we were made very differently. We aren't the same. That wasn't an accident. It was by design to rule over and take care of God's earth. And so we then are told to use our bodies how he designed it. And next week, we're going to talk all about marriage. If you know someone married or are married, great sermon. Uh, excuse me, the week after next. Next week, I won't be here. But the week after next, we'll get all into the marriage relationship. But the background thinking here, right, to dive down into their culture was the Greek thinking um, from the philosopher Plato. You see, Plato taught, this isn't Christian, right? And many Christians still believe this. Plato taught that your soul was immortal and your body didn't matter. That your soul was going to live forever, but your body, hmm, not really. Your body's temporal, but your soul is eternal. When we picture this idea that Christians just live up in heaven somewhere up there and just the soul and the body's just down here and it's nothing to do with anything else, that's Plato, not Christianity. This gave them the license to overindulge, do whatever they wanted with the body, because they said it's just going to be turned to dust anyways. It doesn't matter. Paul says, no, our bodies aren't temporary. That's not how this works. He says in verse 14, and God will raise us from the dead by his power. 
It says resurrection, our bodies will be raised, hopefully a little bit taller. It says just as, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? He says, never. Evidently, people in the church still wanted to go through, still wanted to participate in prostitution. Like, Paul, this isn't a big deal. It's part of our culture. It's what we do. Like, it's fine. Paul's like, no, what you do with your body matters because our bodies will be resurrected. Our bodies will be in eternity forever. And our bodies are more than just for us to enjoy, like just with pleasure. Our bodies are actually part of Christ. You see, Paul doesn't see the separation of physical and spiritual like we do. Like this is one of these ideas I hope you keep hearing me repeat. This idea of the spiritual life being over here and this other world being over here. It doesn't exist. To be alive is to be both physical and spiritual. And we are one with Christ, Paul says. He goes deeper into it in chapter 12, so we'll wait on that. But he sees us being actually united with Christ now. That we are in Christ. That there's something more powerful happening and we have a real union, not like hypothetical, not symbolical. He's like, but now because we've been saved, because we have the spirit dwelling in us, because our body will be resurrected, like we are in Christ right now. That's how he can say that we have been washed, we have been sanctified, we've been justified because what's true of Christ is true of us because we are united and with him and in him right now. You see, not only is uh, the church, the body of Christ, like us corporately, where the spirit dwells, but he'll bring abundant clarity in verse 18, but our bodies are actually temple of the Holy Spirit as well, that he dwells with us. And so because we have a real, actual union with Christ, he is the living, in, the one living inside of us. Paul says, should you take what is holy and then join it with what is unholy? One scholar says a literal reading of this, right? Translate, translators try their best to, to convey the ideas without being too graphic. But one scholar says a literal translation of this, Paul saying, shall I then tear from Christ his limbs and organs and make them the limbs and organs of a prostitute? I said, your body is something like real. He's like, should I rip apart Christ and attach it to something else? Paul exclaims what? Never. Never. You see, Paul's point, according to scholars, is that he says, in going to prostitutes, the Corinthians not only renounce the lordship of Christ over their bodies and deny their resurrection life to come, but they act in a way that sullies even does violence to the, oh, excuse me, violence to Christ's body. And he's not done yet. Verse 16. He says, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. 
Again, Paul's pointing now to Genesis 2, 24, the husband and, re- husband and wife relationship where it says they come together, they leave their father and mother, and they're united into one. And this isn't just speaking of sex, although it is speaking of sex as well, but there's something deeper in the marriage relationship where we are fused together, we come together and are now one. It is physical, but it's more than physical. And he says, if you unite, unite yourself to a prostitute, you are now becoming one with that prostitute. In other words, when you just have sex with people, you are uniting yourself to all of these people. Something far deeper is going on than just a mere physical act. You are taking parts of you. And in fact, according to Paul, if you're a Christian, you're taking parts of Christ and attaching them to these random people. You see, back then, just like today, people thought, well, sex isn't a big deal. It doesn't affect much. But Paul says there is far more going on than you can possibly imagine. The whole act of sex involves more, excuse me, involves your whole being. That is mentally, physically, and spiritually. And I've counseled plenty of people and talked to so many people who've been hurt and wounded who can tell you sex is not just some casual thing that doesn't matter. And those of you who've been broken and wounded by it, you already know this. Paul's like, no, 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 it's way deeper. There's no such thing as just a casual sexual encounter. And so what's Paul's advice to this? Well, verse 18, run, flee, run, run, not jog, not walk, run from sexual sin. No other sin. If you believe in the Bible, check that out. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. He says, run. Don't flirt with it. Flee from it. Because there is no other sin like sexual sin. It affects the body. And remember, we've talked about this. We just did. The body isn't just the physical for Paul. He's already said, hey, this idea that your soul and body are independent and don't work. He's like, no, no. So when Paul's saying the body, no other sin affects you mentally, spiritually, or physically like sexual sin does. Nothing. He says it's different because it was designed to be different. And so this answers the question, folks, what so many people have about Christianity. They say, well, why do Christians... I mean, why do Christians make such a big deal about sex? Why do they act like it's a bigger deal than other sins? Because the Bible does. Because that's what it says. And that's what it believes. In chapter 5 and 6, Paul uses the words associated to pornea, which is sexual immorality, nine times. Like, this is filled with it. He's, he's not like kind of dropping it in there. This is a big argument saying, hey, none of it, run. Get away from it. And so we believe sexual sin's a bigger deal and an important thing because Paul does. And in fact, almost every author in the scriptures talk about it and warn against it because there's so much devastation and so much brokenness and so much pain and so much hurt from sexual sin. 
And the foundation comes from Genesis 2.24 that says sex is a big deal because God made it for a very specific thing. And you abuse it. You're misusing it. You're misusing and abusing something powerful. You're not playing around with a BB gun in the backyard. You're playing with an atomic bomb waiting to go off. Paul's saying it's a big deal. And the point he is making is very important for us to understand. Sex isn't a casual thing, nor can it ever be. It's a powerful thing. And with it comes massive responsibility. Folks, we create life with it. I mean, that is huge. Like that is, that should tell us it is a big deal. And it needs to be used with restraint. We've got to be careful with it because there are massive consequences physically, spiritually, and mentally associated with sex. And what Paul's warning against is he doesn't want you and he doesn't want me to experience the brokenness and the wounds and the pain and the trauma that comes from it, misusing it. We may say, well, Brian, listen, I can think of things that are far worse than sex. Paul says, no. No, you can't. Because there's nothing else that unites you with another person. You're not just hurting you. You're hurting them. It's not just a single thing. It's, it's way deeper than this. There's nothing else that can cause you to tear the limbs and organs away from Christ and then unite Christ's limbs and organs with another person. There's nothing else like it, nor is there anything like it. So he says, run, flee, get away from it. And the connection in his mind is probably found in the story of Joseph. Remember in Genesis chapter 39? Remember, he was the guy who was sold by his brothers into slavery. And you thought you had family problems, right? Brothers sold him into slavery. He's now working for, um, for this guy. And Potiphar was his name. Potiphar let Joseph do some more important things, actually be around the house. And you remember what Potiphar's wife wanted? Joseph. Potiphar's wife kept coming on to Joseph, kept wanting him to go to bed. He's like, no, no, try to avoid her, try to avoid the situation. Then one day she grabbed him and said, Joseph, come to bed with me now. What do you do? Go, well, this ain't a big deal. I mean, she owns me, right? Like, I got to do what she says. Like, this just is a rational, justifiable thing to do. Nobody will know. Nobody will see. What's Joseph do, folks? Runs. Runs out the house. Runs out the house and leaves his coat or cloak behind. Runs out the house and leaves his phone and leaves his computer. All that stuff that gets you in trouble all the time. He runs and leaves it. He says, I'm out of here. I'm gone. He didn't dwell in it. He didn't flirt with it. He didn't compromise. He ran out the door. So Paul says, don't flirt with it. Flee from it. You can't handle it. 
You can't handle it. You can't control it. You can't master it. It's, it's, it's something much bigger than we think. So run away from it. Because once it gets a hold of you, it's a lifelong battle that you can't control, that you have to seek God's significant help on to break through and break in your life. Folks, remember, we can't tame sin. We aren't sin masters. We don't get the ability to see how far to go or how, like that's not how that works. It's consuming and kills and destroys. So Paul says, no, no, get away from it. And why is it any different? Paul says in verse 19, he recaps for us. He says, don't you realize? You know how many times he says it like seven times in this section. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. And all of our wanting to be independent just like screeched, didn't it? Like our autonomy inside of all of us. You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. We already saw him explain this out. Now we see why he's so adamant about this topic. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't own ourselves. God bought us through his son coming to us, being beaten and crucified and his blood was poured out for us. He purchased us with his death. And he uses this imagery of a slave being sold and purchased at an auction. We were purchased. God raised his hand and said, I'll take them through Jesus Christ. See, our options, according to Paul, is that we can be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. There are no other options. We're going to have a master. We just have to choose who we want it to be. A slave to sin is bondage and addiction and all of that stuff. Being a slave to Christ, the paradox is we find freedom. We find freedom in them. But with that freedom comes the responsibility and the restraint that he puts on it. And it is through Christ, folks, you and me can live as we were designed to live. It is through Christ we can truly be human we can truly learn what it means to live in, in fellowship and communion with God and carry out his purpose and our plans for our life. And so for the Christian and for all humans, we just, we just understand this and are taught this. There is no such thing as autonomy. There is no such thing as this independence. There is no such thing as getting to decide our own identities. We are not our own. We've been purchased. And since we didn't create ourselves, and since we didn't create the world, we can never just live as this, this idea of just free and doing whatever. It doesn't work. And just as the temple, Paul says, as just as the temple was a place of holiness for Jewish people, Paul is now applying that same idea inside of our bodies. Our body should be one of worship, of sacrifice, of singing prayers, of, excuse me, praise to God, prayer and communion. Just as the temple was a holy place, our body should now be this holy place dedicated for the purposes of God. 
not used for the purposes of sin. We are saved from sin, but saved for God's purposes in this earth. Therefore, Paul says, we must honor or glorify God in our bodies. He'll explain that out for us when we continue in chapter 7. So to bring all this together, Paul says our main pursuit in life cannot be just the pursuit of pleasure or passions. Our main pursuit in life should be to pursue God's glory in everything that we do. And sexual immorality, sexual sins, isn't just some casual thing, but has serious consequences. And the payments that come from that are far greater and far more than we can handle. And so Paul says, just run. Run. Get away from it. And while Paul is specifically applying prostitution to them in verse 18, he doesn't say flee from prostitution, does he? He says flee from sexual morality, all of it. Get away from it. And folks, this wasn't easy for them, just like it's not easy for us today in our culture. Sexual morality is absolutely everywhere, and sex was a normal part of their culture. If you weren't here last week, you're more than welcome to listen, but they were rampant with it, just like we are. So this wasn't this easy thing, this passive thing, like wasn't a big deal. This was a life-changing decision that am I going to honor God with my body? Am I going to do what he's asked me to do? Or am I going to ignore him and do what I want to do? Which is where Paul said last week, well, check your salvation. Check it. You need to check it. What are you actually doing here? So our bottom line is run from sexual morality and run towards purity. We run from in order to run to. What does this look like, folks? It starts off with the very beginning of the gospel. We repent and we turn from our sins. We repent, that means that we run from, we get away from, we turn from going one direction, and we believe, listen, we believe that pursuing Jesus will bring us greater pleasure than anything, any type of sexual morality has to offer. We believe that Jesus will bring true satisfaction, Jesus will bring true pleasure, and so we repent from the sin, and we believe the gospel that Jesus is greater Because never forget that God created sex. He isn't against it. He's just against us abusing it and hurting others through it. And that means what we have to understand is we can trust Christ with our sexuality. Just understand struggling with sexual temptation isn't a new thing. And you're not abnormal if you struggle with sexual morality. We can trust then Christ. They talk about all the time. We can trust him with our sexuality and give it to him. We can stand on the truth of scripture, knowing that he is speaking to us and he is for us. And he's not afraid of this stuff. We can trust him with this. But we, you and me, we can't feed those temptations. We can't justify them as not a big deal. Because once you start feeding them, once you start living into it, you will find yourself in an overwhelming battle that is far different than any other battle you will ever face because it's not 
a casual act. You can trust Christ with it. And as a church, we have to understand that the Bible doesn't shy away from these topics. Neither should we. As a church, we must be ready to help people navigating and dealing with these things. So many people are broken and wounded from sexual trauma and their personal bad mistakes and choices. We have to be ready to get a little bit uncomfortable to speak the truth of the gospel and the people who are hurting and the people who need help and speak into real life what people are actually dealing with. Especially, listen, I know this is uncomfortable for many of us, especially if you grew up in church and church never talked about this stuff. But folks, if you haven't noticed, our culture is a little different than it was 50 years ago, yes? I don't know, that was the 70s, maybe not too much 70s. 70 years ago. 70s is what I hear mess it all up. I don't know, I wasn't around. That's just what I hear. Our culture is a little different now. You can't go anywhere without being tempted by half-naked people. There's not any show that doesn't have nudity that, well, excuse me, there's not many shows that doesn't include nudity now when you're, through your streaming services. I mean, it's rampant, it's absolutely everywhere. And since our culture doesn't shy away from it, we have to talk about it. And we have to speak truth into people's lives. And men, you are called to sexual purity. And let me be direct for a moment. You're like, you haven't been? No, not yet. Now I'm direct. Listen, you do not get a pass to be a pervert because you're a man. This idea that boys will be war, boys, that's, that's foolishness. You don't get a pass just because you're a man. And listen, as a man, I can tell you, I understand your troubles. I know what it's like to have testosterone take over to your bodies and you have no idea what to do with it. You're like, I have no, what is this? There should have been a manual. I agree. There's not. I know what that's like. And I don't know if any of us will ever figure out how to get out of that. What I'm told by people older than me is I just wait till it lowers. You'll be fine. That's not comforting. I'm just letting you know it's not helpful. Like at all. Right? Like, man, I, I get it. I get we're a little different. Like chemically, like there's a thing that won't leave you alone. I get it. But running towards sexual immorality will not help you. It will just lead you to a bondage of sin and brokenness and lifelong struggles. And too many of you are living lives less than you were created for. You are taking advantage and exploiting other people. Human beings are more than just things we seek pleasure with. They're more than just pictures. They are people and they matter. And they're not just objects to fulfill your pleasure. They're human beings created in the image of God. And men, you are called to lead your homes and relationships in this. You are called to lead the areas of purity and lead your homes and your future homes and to be in gospel centered and talk about and deal with these things. And listen, I have a daughter and I love my sons, but there's something special about that daddy-daughter relationship. And to think that somebody would mistreat or take advantage of my baby girl 
it activates a righteous anger inside of me that somebody will experience the wrath of me, right? Like there's something about daughters and the wrath. And man, I want you to understand, do not forget you are dating or married to a daughter of God. And you need to treat her as such. You need to take that serious. And you need to take your testimony as a Jesus follower serious. And that means men, you need to step up to the plate and commit to the women you're having sex with. If you aren't ready for a commitment, then stop having sex. Like, Brian, it's not that simple. No, it is. It's not complicated. Right? Because sex is a powerful thing. And so if you want to enjoy that, enjoy it in the way God designed it. It's not just some casual and women are not just objects. And for all of us, this means running from pornography. According to the most recent studies, this isn't just a man problem anymore. It used to be, not anymore. And it's not a harmless thing. This means you put the filters on your phones. You get an accountability partner. You start taking this serious and start being honest and confessing to a friend, hey, I got a problem and I need help. Accountability is a great step forward. And running towards purity means having hard conversations with the people you love. We'll talk about that when we get into chapter 7. It's going to be really uncomfortable just throwing that out there. Like that's in in two weeks. But it's having those conversations. Because Paul says, listen, just run. Get away. Don't play. And get help. And please don't forget that God's grace is greater than your sin. It's greater than anything you've done. And he offers forgiveness, he offers redemption, and he can set you free. Because we are called to live into our identity as redeemed, cleansed, righteous children of God. And that doesn't mean we get it right all the time, folks, but it does mean we are living in light of repentance. We are quick to say, God, forgive me. We're quick to turn. We're quick to deal with it. We're quick to be honest and vulnerable and work through this stuff. We are called to repent and believe in the gospel daily that Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. That addiction isn't greater than Jesus Christ. So we run towards purity because he's already declared us pure. We're living in light of what he's already deemed us. And so our highest aim cannot be to seek pleasure. Our highest aim has to be to bring glory to God in all that we do. Include our sexuality. Because pursuing pleasure will, not might, will lead to bondage, slavery, and you won't be able to quit. You'll be addicted and you'll be like, I don't know what to do now. Listen, some of you are there. God can deal with that. Pursue him to find a life of true freedom. Will you pray with me?